Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Thursday morning, the 13th of April. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. I'm sure you don't need me to remind you the President of the United States was in Belfast yesterday morning before he travelled to County Loud. Didn't it look and feel like a homecoming for the 46th President in the Wee County? But let's begin our programme today by looking back on some of the moments that made it clear it was a great day for Joe Biden to be Irish. Coming here feels like uh, coming home, and it really does. The way, every time I've come, the welcome, the people on the streets, they're just so, so gracious to us. My grandpa Finney would also say every time we walked out, when I, we talk about background and heritage, he'd go, remember Joey, the best drop of blood in you is Irish. The Irish are the only people in the world, in my view, who actually are nostalgic about the future. Think about it. We're nostalgic about the future. I think we all are, no matter where we live, if we have Irish blood in us. He asked me, he said, can you define America for me? And I could say the same of Ireland. I said, yes, I can. I said in one word, possibilities. We believe anything's possible. Anything's possible. Anything's possible if we set our mind to it. That's who we are. That's what we believe, in my view. As my mother would say, that's the Irish of it. That's the Irish of it. Whenever we say something was unusual, she said, Joey, that's the Irish of it. It is the Irish of it. I'm so proud to be here, so proud to be in Louth, so proud to be with, I don't want to ruin the reputation, but the Carnies are relatives. <laughs> Just we a, take a few. great faith. Just a few clips uh, from President Joe Biden in uh, the Windsor pub in Dundalk last night. Let's uh, speak uh, to a law lecturer with University of Galway and political columnist with uh, the journal.ie, Larry Donnelly, uh, who had a, a very busy day yesterday, I think. Maybe not quite as busy as the president, but good morning to you, Larry. Thanks uh, for joining us today. I'm sure you have another very busy day ahead of you. But what a, what a wonderful day it was uh, for County Loud yesterday. The president uh, clearly seemed to be enjoying himself. Uh, it really was. I mean, I think he, he he felt right at home. I think that the the interaction between him and the crowds, uh, you know, I think it was quite extraordinary to see, particularly uh, in, in Dundalk, where he got off and walked around and, and touched the hands of so many 
people. Um, it really was an extraordinary day, an extraordinary day, as you say, Michael, uh, for the people of County Loud and something that I don't think will be forgotten for a long, long time. And it should be said, something that we'll all be watching here in Ireland for many years to come on Reeling in the Gears, but mm. something that in the shorter term uh, will be broadcast around the world. Uh, so something that hopefully uh, will benefit the county in many tangible and intangible ways. So mm. all in all, a fantastic day. Uh, and it may very well benefit uh, the president uh, if he announces uh, to run uh, for a- another term, uh, which he may very well do over the coming days. Yeah, it appears that he's going to in in the coming weeks. And one of the things that I think is actually quite interesting about yesterday in particular was it was a long day, as you said, a very long day. And one of the criticisms of uh, Joe Biden and one of the, the lingering questions in the minds of many Democrats, not to mention Republicans, is whether he has the stamina to do the kind of bondstorming that you need to do when you're running for president of the United States. And I, I'd say if, if, any, if yesterday is anything to go by, uh, he was going strong uh, all day long. Uh, so I think it's a tribute to his stamina uh, as well as, as anything else. And one of the things that struck me was uh, the extraordinary images uh, of people waving to him in the, in the glorious reception uh, he got, uh, you know, throughout County Loud and, and elsewhere. Uh, I think that's something he'd obviously dearly love to have mm. back in the United States. And who knows, maybe an image or two uh, from County Loud that will wind up featuring in a campaign ad somewhere down the road. And how would you compare his visit yesterday to County Loud to that of Belfast? The purpose of this trip was to mark the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. Well, this trip is, you know, it's, it really is a mixture of the political and the personal. And, and certainly his visit to, to Loud uh, was a very, very personal one. I think those images uh, of him looking out from Collingford Castle, uh, you know, again, in that, in that moment, he was, you know, tens of millions of Irish Americans saw themselves uh, in President Biden. And he was visibly moved to see the place uh, where his family had left from. Uh, so at that level, it was it was an extraordinary personal visit to Loud. I think in Belfast, where his task was arguably uh, a lot harder, that was political, and he had to do a very, very carefully balancing, a balancing act uh, in his speech. Uh, and I think he did it very well. And I think it comes against the backdrop where, let's face it, uh, in the past, Joe Biden has said things that weren't really helpful uh, to the situation in Northern Ireland. I think yesterday's speech, however, uh, was perfectly calibrated, uh, especially insofar as as an American president, as an American president who has invoked the ire uh, of many in the unionist community, when he kept saying that, look, this is a decision for you to make here uh, in Northern Ireland. I'm president of the United States. I'm not going to come in here and tell you what to do. You know where I'm coming from. But this is a decision that people in Northern Ireland need to make for themselves. And I think that the reaction of Jeffrey Donaldson, which was less than negative, uh, I think actually was kind of a milestone moment uh, in terms of the relationship between um, the unionist community and, in particular, Democratic presidents of the United States. So all in all, I actually think the speech was quite significant. How will Americans uh, perceive that part of uh, the speech? Uh, Because there's a lot of problems uh, with uh, the Good Friday Agreement, uh, the collapse of uh, the institutions and the political limbo that we're in now. Uh, Could it be argued that he was sheepish uh, and that he 
was behind the door sort of saying, well, if it was me, this is what I would do, uh, but it is up to you. Uh, And uh, equally uh, critical, perhaps some might be, uh, that he didn't have a carrot either. He didn't use a stick, but he didn't have a a carrot. He alluded to American investment, but he didn't have anything tangible to make people focus on what is important. Well, that's why, I mean, you know, look, any anything that the president said in that context would be open to criticism. Uh, and that's why, you know, certainly he had to be careful uh, with what he said. Uh, I actually do think that he, he did offer something of a carrot uh, in terms of the number of U.S. companies who want to uh, invest in Northern Ireland. And, you know, critics might say, well, look, they're already investing in Northern Ireland. What do we need Stormont for? And I think that what Joe Biden was saying in a subtle fashion was the companies that are there already and that are investing in Northern Ireland, they're there despite the political impasse, not because of it. And if uh, things move forward, if Stormont does get its act back together, it will open the door uh, to further investment. And I also think he did a very good job in terms of talking to uh, young people, young people Mm. in particular, Mm. who might classify themselves readily as green or orange or nationalist or unionist, but saying, look, one of the dividends from uh, the peace process, one of the dividends has been uh, economic prosperity and that the the hope of uh, future economic prosperity means that uh, mass immigration is increasingly becoming uh, a thing of the past. Mm. So, yes, I mean, look, there's this criticism. Uh, And peace, peace, of course, Larry, uh, the biggest dividend, uh, which he said should be a birthright for everybody in Northern Ireland. Absolutely. Mm, yeah. uh, and I think that, again, uh, I think it was vitally important that, that he said that. So all in all, I think the speech was was excellent. All right. Uh, well, he came uh, under the criticism of uh, the former DUP leader, Arlene Foster. Uh, maybe we can just listen to a little bit of what she had to say to GB News. He was quite happy to be uh, photographed with the late Rita O'Hare and Jerry Adams, despite the fact that she was wanted uh, for the attempted murder of a soldier back in 1971. Uh, that didn't bother Joe Biden. He was happy to be photographed with her. And the list goes on and on, Dan, in relation to his dismissal of the British people living here in Northern Ireland. You've already made reference to the, if you're wearing orange, you're not welcome here. And of course, he reveled in the fact that he told a story about uh, his mother refusing to sleep in a bed because the late majesty, the queen, had slept in the bed. So it goes on and on. He hates uh, the United Kingdom. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, And um, I just think uh, the fact that he's coming here won't put any pressure on the Democratic Unionist Party at all. Quite the reverse, actually because he's seen by so many people as just simply pro-Republican and pro-nationalist. It was a very strong statement uh, that Arlene Foster made to GB News, wasn't it, Larry? It certainly was. And, but, I mean, let's look to an extent, as I've already said, some of the things that Biden has said himself in the past are undeniably unconstructive. Uh, but I think Arlene Foster's rhetoric there, that he hates the United Kingdom, uh, I really don't see the evidence of that. And, again, I think the speech... Uh, yesterday, in which he spoke not just about his Irish heritage, but also about his father and his father's English background, uh, I think really was holding out something of uh, an olive branch. And this, you know, look, Eileen Foster said what she said, Nigel Dodds and others have said, uh, you know, something similar. Mm. Uh, Obviously, Eileen Foster, they're playing to the crowd who watch 
GB News, who would be of a certain political persuasion. But certainly what Joe Biden did in the speech yesterday uh, really was trying to extend, look, uh, you know, effectively saying none of us come to this with necessarily clean hands. I have my my background, uh, you know, my roots uh, are more complicated than I might have indicated uh, before in the past. And let's move forward. And again, Mm. I think the reaction of Jeffrey Donaldson was actually it wasn't negative. So in my view, contextually, that means a positive. And don't forget, Jeffrey Donaldson has got a hell of a job ahead of him trying to bring some in his own party who will be kicking and screaming to get this thing back started up again. And the president was talking about moving forward together as we have done in the past. I think this, from a DUP perspective, might have been the most important part of the speech that he gave at Ulster University. The family ties, the pride... And those Ulster Scots immigrants, those those Ulster Scots immigrants who helped found and build my country, they run very deep, very deep. Men born in Ulster were among those who signed the Declaration of Independence in the United States, pledging their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor for freedom's cause. A nod to the Ulster Scots, very important, I think, Larry. Absolutely, especially the extent to which, at least in recent decades. Uh, the Ulster Scots, who played, a, as Joe Biden said, a huge role uh, in the formation uh, and foundation of the United States, the extent to which they've been almost cut out of Irish America. And, and to me, I, I know that an awful lot of unionists feel that and feel that there's almost a, a certain kind of chauvinism uh, among Irish Catholic America. Uh, I think for Joe Biden to reaffirm the vital role that they have played and how they are a part of Irish America, uh, again, I think that was a really significant message to send, especially coming from someone who, as I said, has has said things in the past which were regrettable. All right. I want to play something else for you to reflect on, Larry, if uh, you'll bear with us for a moment, because if Joe Biden announces his intention to run uh, for another term, he could very well be up uh, against uh, Donald Trump. And the Irish visit is being spoken about, not just here, uh, but much further afield and indeed stateside. People could say he won an election. You know, they, it, it always goes, I get the most votes of any person, any sitting president in history. I was told if I got 15 million less, I couldn't lose. They're surrounded by vicious, smart people, radical left people, but they're very smart and they're very vicious. It's not him. It's not him. He's now in Ireland. He's not going to have a news conference. When the world is exploding, I own property in Ireland. I'm not going to Ireland. The world is exploding around us. Mm. He does have a point, doesn't he? Well, look, I mean, this is, you know, there are pressure points all around the world, certainly with Ukraine and lots of other issues. But, but Michael, I mean, there's never really going to be a time when the president of the United States isn't under pressure, when he or she doesn't have huge agenda items uh, to work on. I think it's significant that the delegation he's brought with him is so high profile. I mean, the Mm. Secretary of State... Uh, is here with him. Uh, there's no doubt that if anything happens, Joe Biden is fully equipped uh, to deal with the business. And I think from an Irish point of view, uh, that he is here in the midst of everything just shows how significant uh, his Irish background is, how significant this visit is, and why, uh, despite challenges on a myriad of fronts, the relationship between, the, between Ireland and the United States uh, remains the envy of the world. So, mm. And uh, what great publicity it is and how well it may serve uh, promoting Joe Biden if he does decide to run for the presidency. 
Absolutely. This is great for Joe Biden. It's also great for the entire island. Of oh, Ireland. of course. Absolutely. This is stuff that you can't possibly buy. So uh, mm. I think there are cynics out there, of course, but these are uh, days to be rejoicing in everything that this trip means. Sure. Uh, and it's just wonderful. wonderful. I, I, I was just talking about Donald Trump's point, though, that he hasn't held a press conference. And you were making the point that there's always this concern that when he goes off script, he may gaff. Uh, and maybe we'll conclude on the gaff uh, that happened last night uh, when the president went off script. You see this tie I have with the shamrock on it? This was given to me by one of these guys right here. <laughs> was a hell of a rugby player and they beat the hell of the black and tans oh god but but the black and tans uh, maybe Arlene Foster is saying I told you so it was a bit of a gaff Larry wasn't it it, it was we, we all started gulping I think the nation did a collective gulp when yeah. he said just one more thing because we knew who knows where this is going to go look at the end of the day it, it was a slip of the tongue I don't think it und- undoes the good he did uh, in the speech, but that's Joe Biden. Look, he's schmaltzy, he's sentimental, but he's a thoroughly decent guy and he loves his country. Okay, and he's off to Dublin today and he will certainly dominate uh, the news once again, as he will over uh, the next couple of days. Larry, thank you very much indeed for taking the time to be with us this morning and to look back on the events of yesterday. Larry Donnelly, law lecturer with the University of Galway, is a political columnist with the journal IE. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the government has signed off on uh, the final bid uh, for the FAI teaming up uh, with uh, its counterparts in the UK to co-host Euro 2028 across Ireland and the UK. The Minister for Sport, Thomas Byrne, is on the line. And a very good morning to you, Minister. Thank you for joining us on the programme today. Uh, Are you confident uh, at all that this bid will be successful? Well, I think the FAI and the other football associations are reasonably confident, but there's a very strong bid in from Turkey uh, against the uh, joint uh, Irish and UK bid, and obviously they've been competing very, very strongly. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see uh, what UEFA does, and we'll find out, find out that uh, in October. But I think what's being put forward here between uh, Britain and Ireland is very, very strong. It has really good dimensions for from a football point of view, but also from a political point of view as well, if we're looking at north-south and indeed east-west uh, relations as well, I think it's really, really positive at this particular moment in time. All right. Uh, the cost has been estimated to be about €135 million. Euro. Uh, does that remain the case? Look, i would be going into the cost figures maybe later in the year if the bid is successful and basically all of the costs or almost all of the costs will be incurred in the year of the championship and around the championships. The costs are mainly around security. There's no actual cost uh, to host the event, so you don't have to pay your way for it. It's not like a bidding war where you pay your way for, for the rights to hold it and we're, we're pumping money into that. We're not doing that. The costs for the state are really around security and there are some other costs as well. Now, we haven't gone into them. The figures, I think, they have been quoted in the media before probably higher than they will be um, and we'll, we'll, we'll be able to talk more about that later in the year but at the moment it's because of the commercially competitive process I don't want to give too much away just yet uh, on that but it's safe to say that having done the cost-benefit analysis within the department the benefits are certainly expected to be about three times uh, the cost of the state of the bid and that's not including the 
political benefits that we would have by, by working together, which I think would be everybody's benefit. So uh, there could be a return of 400 million, in other words, uh, or 500 million and take away that I 185 have, I, I or thereabouts. I haven't said that. As I said, the figures on costs are probably less now than maybe they were previously estimated to be. All right. Uh, they uh, reckoned that it was worth over a billion euro to the French economy uh, when they hosted the championship in 2016. Yeah, and on the basis of that, we've been able to work out what the, we expect the benefits to be. Um, and there's huge benefits to it. I mean, bringing those, this type of event to Ireland, I mean, shows us that we're capable of doing this. Um, but brings us closer as well to Northern Ireland and to Britain, which I think is really, really important too. But also, um, we'll be working now on legacy uh, programs from this to ensure that there's a benefit to the community, to wider society, and indeed to football uh, on the island of Ireland as well. Okay, and if successful, where will the games be played? Well, the games will be played, in in our case, in the Aviva, and in Northern Ireland, in uh, Casements, um, in Belfast, and in a number of stadiums across uh, England, Scotland and Wales as well. Okay, and that's left the GAA disappointed that Croke Park hasn't been included in the bid. Well, I'm disappointed that Croke Park's not included. I want to thank the GAA for all of their cooperation on this. They've been really, really good to work with and I think ultimately it was decided that there would just be one stadium put forward for Dublin. Um, that's what UEFA would expect, I think, in this type of bid. But the GAA, of course, heavily involved in this bid as well because Caseman Park in Belfast is uh, being put forward as a stadium. So the GAA aren't going anywhere. And if anything were to happen that we needed another stadium, I'm quite sure that we'd be able to talk to the GAA about Croke Park at that point as well. Uh, but at the moment, the Aviva is the stadium that is banned for Dublin. Yeah. Mm. Uh, are the stadiums not too far apart for both players and fans? I don't think so, no. I mean, there are places much bigger than us that have hosted events before. If you look at the Women's World Cup in Australia um, this year, you know, in in four or five hour flights in some cases between games, uh, that's not going to be the case here. Um, If you look to hosting an event in Germany or um, Poland, Ukraine previously, um, these are big events uh, and people can plan them. This is, by I would say, by no means the, the biggest place that you can hold an event. If you hold the World Cup in America, it's much bigger. And so I think we're well capable of, 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 of dealing with that. And I think fans are well capable of okay. dealing with that. Uh, well. There'll be a certain amount of planning possible too. Yeah, well, t- tell me about that planning or what you know of it at the stage. How will it be decided uh, which games uh, will be played where? Well, UEFA will work that out with the bid steering group and that that has to be worked on. At the moment, the priority is to get the bid approved by UEFA and then detailed work will go on at that point uh, into the running of the tournament, which after all is about five years away. And so at the moment, all eyes and all focus is on actually securing this bid. There's been really good cooperation up to now uh, between all of the football associations involved in this. We're de- you're dealing with the Football Association of Ireland, the IFA in Northern Ireland, the Scottish Welsh FAs, uh, and of course the English FA as well, apart from UEFA. And they've been working really, really well together on this. I've had engagements with some of my counterparts in, in England and in Scotland and indeed with UEFA as well on this. And I'm confident that we can work together and make sure um, you know that everything will be done uh, properly and that be a, a good allocation of games across uh, the five associations and that's I think everybody's on board for that Alright uh, I'm sure everybody is uh, behind the bid uh, as well and would love to see us uh, come to this country uh, for a myriad of reasons 
Oh, there's no question. I mean, well, first of all, I mean, there's a, a very simple economic benefit. I mean, that's easy to calculate in terms of the number of visitors that would be expected to come. Well, that's relatively easy to calculate. Um, there's wider benefits, we hope, to society as well in terms of football and the legacy. And that, that's going to be a really important focus for me, not just in terms of this particular uh, event, if we get it, but also in terms of the funding that we allocate over the next number of years, particularly on the capital side. Uh, so that has to be a really strong part of it. Um, but, you know, you can't underestimate the political side of it as well, bringing, bringing these islands closer together, to work more closely together as equal partners as well, uh, which I think is, 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 is the way forward and is positive for everybody, particularly after the last number of years uh, that we've seen. I would hope as well that it gives some impetus as well in Northern Ireland to uh, bring an executive together because it would definitely be easier to, to, to work on the bid if there were a minister in Northern Ireland with responsibility for sports. There's not at the moment. Um, but look, I mean, the, the Irish Football Association up there in Belfast is, is working on behalf of Northern Ireland football mm. uh, and doing a good job. Oh, well, we can't imagine the excitement. Probably close to what we experienced yesterday, but probably in reality even greater. Uh, the doll officially in recess uh, today uh, and uh, until next week. Uh, but uh, there will be a sitting, obviously, uh, this afternoon. Uh, I'm sure it'll be a, a very busy day for all TDs and senators for this joint meeting of the Oireachtas uh, to hear President uh, Biden address those in Leinster House. Yeah, well, look, I think it's it's a very historic moment because, I mean, while the the doll has been the, the Oireachtas has been addressed by three presidents, it's it's nearly thirty years, I think, since since Bill Clinton addressed uh, the House of the Oireachtas. So there's been a long, long gap, uh, and I'm certainly looking forward to it and to just be there for that historic moment. Uh, and it's a wonderful honour to represent my constituents there because that's effectively why I'm there. Um, and always good to remember that. Uh, but we listened to what he says. I think he had a really good message in, in, in Northern Ireland yesterday about the economic benefits coming on top of peace. And he couldn't have looked for a better forum to do that in Ulster University opening a new campus in Belfast. I mean, one of the biggest problems, and I've highlighted over the last number of years, is the lower educational attainment in Northern Ireland. And that's, that's a really serious problem, particularly, if I may say, uh, in the working class loyalist community. And that has to change. Uh, and the more educational opportunities that people have in Northern Ireland, uh, the better uh, a society it'll be, it will be, the better an economy it will be. Uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing what President Biden says to us today. Mm-hmm. I have to say personally, and I didn't expect this, I've been full of emotion. I was looking at the TV uh, images yesterday of um, Joe Biden going back to his, his roots, and you, you couldn't but be moved uh, with emotion to see an American coming home, to see where he was from, his people came from, in the absolute depths of adversity uh, in the famine, uh, and to see him as really effectively the leader of the free world coming to do that. It's, it's uh, intense pride and intense emotion, I have to say, for me to see that. And I think we'll only see more of that today and indeed tomorrow uh, when he goes to Knock and to Ballymah. Minister, thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. That's uh, Fianna Fáil TD for Mead East, Thomas Byrne, the Minister for Sport. Michael Reed on LMFM. And earlier today I had a chance to visit another special place, Collingford Castle. High in the hill, the castle that uh, was likely one of the last glimpses that the, uh, that the Finnegan family saw when they set sail for America. And uh, they set sail with courage and hope and they crossed the sea. And, uh, and through generations, the Finnegans brought this island uh, uh, home from Ireland to Scranton, Pennsylvania, where uh, where we uh, were raised, where I was raised, I should say, and my mother lived. 
President Joe Biden, who was in Carlingford yesterday, let's head that direction now and speak uh, to local Fianna Fáil councillor Andrea McKevitt, who's uh, President Biden's fifth cousin. We're also joined by the Gehirlock of Louth County Council, Conor Keelan. Good morning to both of you and thanks for coming back to us today, as you said you would yesterday, to report on your experiences. Andrea, you got to meet the President and you have a, a very special photograph, a selfie that you took yesterday, I think, with Mr Biden. Yeah, it was it was an unreal day, Michael. I can't even put into words how how exciting and how emotional the day actually turned out to be. And we couldn't have asked for anything better for the homecoming of the President of the United States to County Life. He was very relaxed and seemed very down to earth. Hard to think uh, he's such a powerful man, one of the most powerful people in the world. Yeah, like, you know, when you think about it, it's, it's a family favourite restaurant, the Windsor Bar. So when we were told that we were going... And you're kind of just assembled in the front bar, maybe 20-odd people and, like, tons of media and that. It, next of all, the president walks in with an entourage of the Secret Service and that. It was very surreal now. I don't think we'll have an experience like that in the Windsor again. All right. Uh, Conor Keelan, uh, you said uh, that you were hoping uh, to welcome uh, the president to Dundalk, uh, but you were keeping your cards close to your chest yesterday in terms of what you were going to say to the president. Maybe you tell us today how that went. Thanks, Michael. Yes, um, well, I did formally welcome uh, President Biden uh, to, to the dock yesterday. And um, I, I mentioned about um, uh, the uh, Good Friday Agreement. Um, it was the first time that I had a vote, actually, um, when I was 17, to vote in that referendum. And I... Um, I mentioned that to him, and I also mentioned about um, his um, long work um, for um, peace um, um, that that he has done throughout his uh, time in politics, and um, also the fact that he had highlighted um, the importance of the agreement um, during his visit in the north, um, and um, uh, how it was important that people would um, uh, that people would uh, work together and ensure that um, peace was not lost. Uh, as well, you know, and um, uh, I also um, I also mentioned that given the fact that he uh, he brought um, Joe Kennedy with him as his um, economic envoy to the north, I said that um, hopefully we, we in the we in the dock, for instance, might get some spillover um, of foreign direct investment. And he did say that um, that that was uh, that was possibly likely to happen. Um, so um, I thought that was very useful, very interesting to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I also, also mentioned then that um, um, uh, on, on a personal note, I just just said that um, um, I was uh, I I've been quite aware of uh, uh, President Biden's um, advocacy for um, the cause of epilepsy um, during his time in politics, and just said as uh, from my own perspective as as an epilepsy, said that I'd always um, appreciated that. So. Um, uh, so I think he appreciated that point. I didn't know that, uh, and that was quite personal. And you obviously got uh, a considerable amount of, of that president's precious time. Oh yeah, well uh, yeah. So it was just um, mm. just there across the bar um, in in the Windsor. Like we spoke for a few minutes. On yeah. That, you know? yeah. So sounds very relaxed. Uh, what did you make of him? What did he say to you? Um, well, he, he spoke to, he spoke directly about, uh, to me and a couple of other people just about the importance of. Uh, the Good Friday Agreement um, to Ireland and indeed to um, uh, uh, to the to the to, um, uh, to to the fact that it, it does um, it was very important for us and that 
um, and to him and that it wouldn't be uh, lost and um, uh, the, the work that was done for, for example and then he also mentioned it, uh, investment um, for um, investment for Ireland and uh, North and South you know mm. um, Excellent. Yeah. Very, very uh, interesting. Uh, Andrea, uh, did you have a, a conversation uh, that uh, you wish to share with us with uh, the president? Yeah, I was I was lucky enough to have um, a couple of encounters with the president yesterday, actually. But I think the most poignant one for me and my family was when I was I explained to him that I was a local councillor in that in the area. And I said, you know, next year is going to be a big year for us. And he said, why is that? I said, well, I'm going for re-election to the local council here in Louth and you're going back to the White House. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a big year for us. And he, he really he embraced me then at that point and he says, right on. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. We've lost somebody. Is that Connor gone? Yeah. yeah. No, no, I'm here. No, I'm here. Oh, oh, we've lost Andrea there. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> well, that could be good news, uh, I suppose, uh, Connor, for the Fianna Fáil camp if it's endorsed <laughs> yeah. uh, by uh, the President of uh, the United States. Uh, but uh, there was so much excitement around. A lot of people actually got to. Uh, get close to the president uh, and have some words uh, and a, a very exciting time. Uh, w- was it what you were expecting? Um, well, uh, Andre mentioned it was, it was a bit of a surreal experience, you know, as well. And um, uh, I think in a sense, um, it, it was. Like, to, to greet, um, uh, to, to formally greet a president like that, you know, in a, um, in a, in, in a, in a very well-known pub in, in Dundalk, you know, it was a very, um, uh, um, it was a, uh, <laughs> uh, it's quite hard to describe uh, mm. how you, um, how, uh, that, that um, very, um, that, uh, that very occasion, you know, yeah, and, yeah. And, and members of his family as well. Yeah, I'm sure um, there was a great sense of occasion. There had to be. Uh, yeah. I mean, somebody like that uh, has such presence uh, around them. Uh, we have Andrea back uh, on the line, as you were saying, it's your local, apart from anything else. Uh, uh, the president's a teetotaler. Uh, was he offered a pint? I think he was actually. Yeah, and actually, he also um, uh, offered, I think, to to, uh, to pull a pint. I think too. Oh, <laughs> oh right. Um, but, but I don't think. But he, he's not right with him, you know. So I think they were going to do that for him. All right, because uh, uh, as a, a teetotaler, is uh, I suppose was one of the things people were wondering uh, if he'd be offered a, a pint, uh, uh, because all of the presidents uh, come here and they're offered pints. As I say, we have Andrea back uh, on the line, uh, and uh, by the sounds of things, <laughs> the president is going to to back uh, your uh, bid uh, to be returned to Louth County Council? It sounds like that, Michael, <laughs> and I don't think I could have <laughs> a, better, uh, a better ambassador. <laughs> uh, what, what about the rest of your family? Uh, did anyone else in the family get to meet the President? Oh, look, we, we, the President embraced every, all of our family that were there. He was so generous with his time. It was very emotional. He you know, grabbed my mum, gave her a hug and a kiss, shook hands with my dad. You know, we, we had a great conversation. It actually was my auntie's birthday then. And when he knew about this, he's like, well, we've got a tradition in the Biden family. When it's anybody's birthday, we sing happy birthday. So the whole room then broke into song, wishing my auntie Dara a happy birthday. So it, <laughs> he just he couldn't write. Mm. He just couldn't imagine what was going to happen yesterday. It was so special. And it had to be so special as well for the McGill family because, you know, it's such a momentous day and for them to host it in 
their family restaurant, which is, you know, they've run for so long and their dear dad was so involved in the running of the restaurant, like it had to be such an important day for them. And mm. like, I just want to thank them so much for, you know, they really went above and beyond for, for the town of Dundalk and for our county. All right. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll wish your Auntie Dara a happy birthday, but it probably will mean nothing to her after uh, <laughs> greetings from the President of the United States yesterday. And your mum, your mum got a hug and a kiss off Joe Biden. Uh, she yeah, must have been yeah. delighted with that, was she? Yeah, no, she, she was. Yeah, look, we were all, we were all just totally kind of um, mesmerised by it, it all happened so quickly, Michael. You know, when you're thinking back yeah. now, but it's like, the oh, stuff that, of that legend. Really I mean, I mean, quickly or otherwise, it is the stuff of legend. This is what your children, grandchildren, great grandchildren, uh, etc., will talk about. Exactly. Yeah, like the day the day the president came to town in the Windsor and you know gave us all hugs and kisses and sang happy birthday. Like it, it's gas, really. When you think of it, when I think about what yesterday, I'm like, I can't believe it. It actually happened and. You know, it's so good that we have so many photos and videos to share with others of to, to show them the experience that we had. And we were so lucky. And, you know, I had to laugh yesterday because we were sitting in the room, obviously, went for the president to come in. I believe we were live in our key and everyone's phone was hopping. Turn around and wave at the camera. Turn around and give mm. it away. It was, it was a surreal moment. Great moments, great memories. And thank you both of you for sharing them with us. Uh, Fianna Fáil Councillor Andre McKevitt, the fifth cousin of President Joe Biden, and also the Cahirlach of Louth County Council, Conor Keelan. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, you've been in touch with us today. Many thanks uh, for your comment. Uh, James was in touch with us earlier in the programme saying, what about the black and tan gaff? Uh, I take it, James, was wondering if we'd ever get to it. Uh, we did mention it, uh, I'm sure, after uh, you had texted, uh, James. But thank you for that. Uh, on that note, Margaret said, what was wrong with President Biden uh, and what he said about the black and tans? They were murderers who slaughtered our Irish people. They were a part of our history that should not be whitewashed to appease the PC brigade. That would be an insult to the unfortunates uh, who were murdered by them. Every country has a history that should be learned by its citizens and you can't change what you don't acknowledge. Thank you, Margaret. Uh, Somebody else in touch, Robbie, uh, who says, Michael, why don't you ask the local TDs to show the Yank how the homeless people in Ireland live and in Dublin, total waste of good taxpayers' money. Uh, thanks, uh, Robbie. Long time since I've heard that turn of phrase, uh, but uh, thanks for that. Uh, I take it uh, you don't accept uh, that Joe Biden is uh, an Irish man. He's certainly uh, 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 an Irish descendant anyway. Uh, I think that was made clear to all of us yesterday. Uh, Martin, I don't think cares. Martin texts it saying, um, <clears throat> for God's sake, Michael, will you please change the record? I'm sick of listening about Joe Biden. Get on with the real news on the way the country is going into a major recession. And the waste, the waste of taxpayers' money on the cost of a visit to this country for one man and all the people living on the streets of Ireland. It's a joke and a major waste of time. Well, thanks uh, for making your views clear to us there, Martin. Brendan says it was great that President Biden called to the food house in Dundalk and met the proprietors, a gay married couple and their staff. What a a message it sends out. The most powerful man in the world and somebody who's a practicing Catholic. It, It says all 
uh, Joe Biden says all people, including same-sex couples, are equal. Uh, and uh, Brendan says, I hope some TDs took note. Also, Bible-bashing clergy uh, and uh, their friends who spend hours on Sunday afternoons preaching against gays and anti-God views to vulnerable followers. Uh, and then they ask them to line their pockets with pieces of paper a.k.a. Euro notes uh, and uh, they should be run out of uh, the country and told to crawl back under a stone uh, when they're anti-gay. Uh, thank you, uh, Brendan, for that. Uh, somebody else in touch uh, because of Robbie's text saying get the local TDs and uh, ask them uh, about the homeless people uh, and what uh, the Americans are going to do uh, for that. Anyway, somebody texted in saying, uh, well said, Robbie, and also well said, Martin, who's sick of listening to all this stuff about Joe Biden. Right. Okay, uh, when we talk about Joe Biden, uh, we think of the presidency and uh, as we heard, uh, he may be running against Donald Trump who had something to say about his Irish visit. Paddy Feehan and Terman Fecken WhatsApping us saying, Michael, I believe Trump missed a trick here uh, with his court case. If he had pleaded guilty and paid the fines, he would have been voted in in a heartbeat. Thanks uh, for that, Paddy. Thank you to everybody who's been in touch with us so far today. If you want to make comment on the programme, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 041 you can text or WhatsApp 86 658 and you can email michael at lmfm.ie. My grandpa Finney would also say, every time we walked out, when I, we talk about background and heritage, he go, remember Joey, the best drop of blood in you is Irish. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you all think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. And uh, he'd never been to Ireland, but he raised his family uh, with a fierce pride in our Irish ancestry. A pride that spoke to the history that binds us and the values that unite us. And it's important to remember there's the values that unite us. You know, uh, the values I heard from my mother, she used to say, Joey, remember, you're defined by your courage. You're defined by your courage. And you're redeemed by your loyalty. That was her code. You're defined by your courage. She's without courage. You could never take a chance on just about anything. President Joe Biden talking about his Irish blood, amongst other things. Uh, somebody who has a lot of Irish blood in the Manda's base. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In America now is uh, another very famous Irish American, if you like, uh, an Irish man from uh, the West Coast and uh, reporter with CBS. Uh, and uh, Donny O'Sullivan was in Dundalk yesterday. 
Michael Carlin caught up with Joni for LMFM. Joni, obviously this is a, a huge deal here in Ireland from an American perspective. What's made of the visit in the States? Oh, I mean, it's massive. I mean, I think everybody knows there's been no president really that's really worn his Irishness on his sleeve uh, like President Biden. So, you know, you can even see at the schedule uh, this week, he's spending so much kind of personal time with family, tracing his roots. Uh, you know, obviously he was up in Northern Ireland talking uh, about the Good Friday Agreement and whatnot, but you know, kind of coming to Dundalk, coming to Loud is the start of, start of the party for him, uh, I think. So, um, you know, you can see how much how much time he spent here in the town and huge turnout. Uh, I think when the guards told me there, they think definitely in the thousands, up to 5,000 uh, on a cold evening in Dundalk. Yeah. <laughs> and you actually you mentioned his schedule there. Like it's, it's jam-packed. Is, is that the sort of itinerary he would usually keep? Well, you know, I think it's particularly packed, yeah. You know, I kind of came along. They, they sent me along on this trip. <laughs> uh, to have a bit of, have a bit of fun with with people the locals and whatnot uh, so to be honest with this is my first time traveling with a president uh, I mean it's incredible I'm kind of as blown away by it uh, as as you so all are you saw did you get to go in Air Force one no I didn't I came ahead uh, I came ahead but uh, maybe sometime maybe next time who knows who knows uh, and what about yourself is this a, a purely work visit or do you get to go back home yourself uh, purely work I think this time but um, they see they see me enough they're sick of seeing me at home in Kerry I think so it'll be alright the great Donny O'Sullivan speaking to LMFM's Michael Carlin Donny was in Dundalk James McAuliffe Ernie was also in Dundalk yesterday speaking to some very excited local people. I'm joined by uh, Garda Gemma Galligan from the Mead Cabin Board of a base in uh, Drada Garda Station in County Loud who had the pleasure I'm guessing of meeting President Biden after he came out with the food house here in Dundalk. Uh, Garda Galligan can you just describe your emotions what was that like? Uh, it was amazing to meet him in person um, so he came over to us to say thanks very much um, as police officer and law enforcement in Ireland he said that um, President of America coming over over to Ireland um, is probably one of the worst things we can we can do as law enforcement. Um, so we just said thanks very much for him for coming over, and it was great atmosphere and a great crowd gathered here today. Yeah, and what did you say to him when he said to you, "Thanks for appreciate your your time and your care." Ah, sure, it was great for the overtime, and thanks very much for coming. <laughs> I'm with Sophia McKenna, who got to meet President Biden, to shake his hand. What was it like, Sophia? Cold. <laughs> Cold. Was his hand cold or was the whole day cold? Or both? The whole day cold. Okay, I'm here with Eugene Matthews. Eugene Matthews. Kira Boyle. Kira Boyle. Sheila Boyle. Sheila Boyle. Arthur McAlevey. Arthur McAlevey. And you're all from Dundalk yourselves. And you're from? Yuri. Yuri and Dundalk. And Dundalk. And you've got to meet President Biden. We did. And what was it like when you get out of the car? Describe the emotions of it all. Amazing. Amazing. It was. Unbelievable. What were the chances he'd get out and, and come over to you and shake your hand? Quite unlikely. Yeah, very hailing and unlikely. Took my hand straight away. Yeah, we had our yeah, selfie. Yeah. We oh, had, selfie. you know, we had a chat. Well. Absolutely uh-huh. amazing. Even before he got out of the car, he was putting thumbs up to us. Yeah, he was. He was looking yeah, out. He straight over to us and shook hands. And he so shook Arthur's phone and took a selfie of us all for life. Yeah, <laughs> Which is brilliant. Well, you took your phone, Arthur. Yeah, I took a selfie as well. Yeah. Jeez, Mac, I wonder what that phone is worth now. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're no price to it. Half price prices. It's amazing. He said he's going to get a pair of shoes in Trump style. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Absolutely. It's time for the local cuisine. Yeah. And all the locals, yeah, the locals, the locals yeah. Well, yeah. And, was, and don't forget drive safe. That's the drive sc- uh, safe school of motoring in Dundalk. That's a, that's a shameless plug, is what that is. Did he say that to you, or did you say that to him? I said it to him. Kelsey Donnelly, whose father owns Top Style. There. What's your father's name, Kelsey? Uh, Freedom Donnelly. Freedom Donnelly. So he's how many photos of Joe Biden? Oh, we have 160. 
Um, and we just thought, do you know what? Brilliant day, we might as well. And we're so happy we did. It looks like a shrine, it got so much attention. Yeah. And looks great. Um, we're hoping Joe's going to get a lovely pair of shoes. Great crack in Dundalk. I told you the locals were excited uh, and thanks to each of them speaking to James McAlerney. As you've been hearing, uh, the president was, of course, in the food house in Dundalk and Michael Carlin spoke to some of the staff after the presidential visit. Uh, Kira Gorham. Edita Miloslavska. David Maddy. Henry McMahon. And tell me, did, did you all get to meet the president? Did, yeah, I got yes. selfie with him and everything. Yes, and pictures <laughs> and handshaking and everything. Come on, don't you miss Good, and what, what did he say about his trip to County Loud today? He just said it was a brilliant experience. He said it was great to like, reconnect with his Irish roots. He talked about his grandfather, who like he found poems and he'd written them about the coup. And uh, w- w- did he spend long inside, which is all? He spent about 20 minutes. 20 minutes, about 20 minutes yeah. a half hour. He tried. He got to take some food as well with him. He took some goujons and chips, but a bottle of coke. He actually gave one of our employees. You uh, Connor. Uh, he gave him a ten-euro note as well. Oh, excellent. Yeah. And did he mention any of it coming back again? Um, I think he don't... said he'd like to come yes, back. Yes, he liked yeah. them. Yeah. But it was whenever the opportunity he was able to come. Did you get to meet him too? I did indeed. Good. And were you d- delighted by that? Yeah, I'm so delighted. And it made my day. Three times. <laughs> Lots of selfies. Yeah, he took the phones selfies, and took yeah. selfies. Yeah. Yeah. Goujons and chips. <laughs> and a 10 euro tip. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised. Big spending Joe Biden. All right. Uh, after all, uh, I suppose uh, he was. Uh, <laughs> there with his wallet or without it but he was there and he was coming home around the time owen finnegan boarded the brothers bound for the ship the brothers bound for america uh, another shoemaker named joseph kearney from moneygall was leaving because my great great grandfather was a was a shoemaker owen and uh he sailed on the carolyn reed and uh, arriving in america just five weeks before my great great grandfather and they were both shoemakers. And it's doubtful they knew each other. And they came, they came, they, they came out of the same port. And, uh, but one thing we do know, they left everything behind. But they had faith. They had faith in an uncertain future. And all their dreams, I'm not sure they could have imagined that 175 years later, both their great-great-grandsons would be president of the United States of America, Barack Obama and Joe Biden. But that's what you breed here. Just faith and the possibilities that are out there. It's the President of the United States in the Windsor pub in Dundalk last night. Uh, As you heard, uh, some people contacting us today uh, saying they don't really have much interest in what Joe Biden has to say or that they're fed up listening to Joe Biden. Uh, But that's not the case with Jerry in Wilkinstown who says, isn't it great to be talking about something else other than the so-called homeless and immigration and refugees. Great to have President Joe Biden and Joe Kennedy in town. Thank you, uh, Jerry, for sharing your thoughts with us uh, today. We'll come to some more comments later. If you want to make comment, as always, we would love to hear from you. 
Our telephone number is 041-983-2000. Text or WhatsApp 086-1800-658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. The teachers' annual Easter conferences uh, continue uh, this week, and it has to be said there was a bit of a showdown in Cork yesterday, where the Teachers' Union of Ireland is holding its annual conference. Uh, the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, was there, and she said that one of the targets of reforming the senior cycle is to have teachers mark their own students' leading, leaving certificate. Papers. Now, this was after the TUI president, Liz Farrell, noted that this is an issue that TUI members would consider to be a red line issue. And she said if that if their view is not respected, it could result in a ballot for industrial action. Uh, it could lead to strike action. Uh, There's a a, a very telling photograph uh, in uh, the Irish Times uh, today, uh, if you get to see it, uh, of members of the TUI applauding their president, Liz Farrell, uh, after she made her speech. Uh, They're all standing up applauding uh, the TUI president, but there's one person sitting down, and that is the Minister for Education, Norma Foley. Let's uh, speak now. Uh, to Colm Kenny, who's uh, the Assistant General Secretary with uh, the TUI. A very good morning to you, Colm, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. It it would seem as though your union is at loggerheads with uh, the Minister once again, and this doesn't bode well. No, I suppose it doesn't, Mike, and thanks for having me on the show this morning. Um, Look, the the Minister, there's an old adage, one must learn from the mistakes of others uh, because there isn't enough time to make them all yourself. And the minister would do well to look to how Minister Quinn dealt with the junior cycle tobacco because we took the same position on junior cycle. Our members should not be in the position of marking their own students. And now for an exam that is significantly higher stakes than the junior cycle exam for the minister to even posture in the direction of our members correcting their own students seems incredibly unwise. Uh, just to be clear, the state exams process in Ireland is a, a system that we're incredibly proud of. And the minister's Concerns you know, relating to the, you know, the correction of students' work, she hasn't as yet addressed other key concerns within the system, for instance, the CAO system. So to even start talking about teachers correcting their own work seems, seems in some ways putting the cart before the horse and indeed, as I said, not learning from the mistakes of her own predecessors. Is it what happens in other countries? Uh, the minister said uh, that it's international best practice for teachers to do this. Well, whether or not it's international best practice, other other countries would point to Ireland's state exams process as, as an international national best practice. And that separation and the systems that the State Exams Commission use centrally to ensure that the mark that you receive in Donegal has been as rigorously applied as the mark that you receive in, in Cork, in Louth or in Galway is a vital part of how we ensure that our system allows our students to travel the country for third level knowing that their qualification, their leaving cert qualification, is marked in exactly the same process and has the exact same rigour applied regardless of where else they come from within within Ireland, within the state. Is it a, a cost-saving measure on the part of uh, the Minister? Because I, I presume it would be far cheaper uh, to make marking uh, examination papers part 
of your normal duties rather than paying extra for teachers uh, to uh, uh, mark the the, uh, papers of students uh, that they don't teach? We're not aware that the minister's budget is in, is under threat in any way. I mean, I, I I cannot see why the minister would be in a position of seeking cost-saving measures. And if she were to seek cost-saving measures, the last place that we believe that the minister should be looking is at the state exams process that this, this state has been proud of for many years. Mm, okay. Uh, and uh, I, I think... Uh Members of the union, including your president, uh, were very critical that uh, this is a diktat of uh, sorts, uh, that this is the minister's intention, but she hasn't consulted with you or your members. Yes, indeed. And look, this is a, this is a problem intermittently with various different ministers. And again, I'd, I'd, I'd suggest that uh, Minister Quinn had made the same mistakes in relation to the junior cycle. And at the point at which himself and then subsequently Minister John O'Sullivan engaged with us, we started to make progress in the junior cycle. The president yesterday was very keen to point out to the minister that we were available to engage. We were available to come up with um, with a, an evolution in in tandem to co uh, create an evolution of the leave and start process in tandem with her but that we would not wear the, the idea of learning about changes to our own terms and conditions or to our own exam system via the, the various diktats that have arrived out to schools over the last couple of years. Mm. And indeed, the Minister has already had to backtrack on some of those those uh, announcements. The announcement of moving papers, leaving certificate papers into fifth year uh, this year, the Minister rolled back on a number of weeks ago and you know, we, we're simply pointing out to the minister that it, it would be an ideal situation where she'd come and talk to us in the first instance rather than have to announce uh, what she perceives as progress and then subsequently retract it a mm. number of months later. Are you really open to a discussion, though? I suppose that's a, a legitimate question, isn't it, if you're saying you're just not going to do it under any circumstances? Well, once the minister has set out exactly what it is that she is trying to achieve, then the TUI within within the confines of our own red line issues, which the, the, the president uh, set out for the minister yesterday, we are absolutely willing to engage to see if we can meet the, the minister's goals within those confines. But yes, there are, you know, there's no point in, in being shy about it. There are red line issues and mm. we are not going to be correcting our own students' work for the leaving certificates. Yeah, and just explain to us why not. What, what is your concern in relation to doing that? Again, the... the the, the biggest reason for that is the faith that we have in the current state exams process. And the current state exams process centralizes the correcting process within a system that, that has checks and oversight to ensure that papers, in the first instance, are anonymized when they go out to correctors. And each corrector answers into advising examiners and a chief examiner. And the processes involved ensure that no matter whether your paper was, was uh, sat in Carcedine or Letterkenny, that at some point, three or four sets of eyes have looked over the process of correcting your paper to ensure that the same rigour, the same, the, the same process has been applied no matter what part of the country you sat the exam in. All right. Uh, are you concerned about the pressure that it would put teachers under, uh, that uh, there could be bribes or threats of violence, people making offers that teachers wouldn't be able to refuse? No, I, look, I mean, those concerns are always there, but those concerns are there, there in any given situation. 
I mean, equally concerns would arise in terms of teachers wanting the best for their students and, you know, the, the, the concept of unconscious bias. When you want the best for your students, maybe you have rose-tinted glasses when you look at the work of your own students. And that's why a process that involves a moderated process so that not just one set of eyes, but multiple sets of eyes look at the paper and multiple sets of independent eyes, persons that don't know the student, that, that only know the student by number, not even by name or background, to ensure that what is being marked is the the work itself. Okay, well, members of uh, the TUI have very similar concerns to the other two unions uh, and in many ways to a lot of people in the country uh, because of uh, the cost of living and the housing crisis uh, and you're concerned about the cost of housing, the cost of renting and if there is somewhere available and affordable to live for that matter. Absolutely we are. And I mean, there are some very simple solutions that the department could engage in and indeed that local school communities could engage in as well. For instance, one of our top priorities for the last 20 years has been seeking permanent whole-time employment from the get-go. And one of the biggest problems our members have, beyond the fact that their salaries are not what what we would need them to be in order for them to access um, rent in some areas around the country or in many areas around the country, one of the biggest problems is they're not in receipt of a full salary because when they are employed by a school, they're employed on a portion of the job. They're employed on five or six hours initially. They may build it up uh, towards a a full-time job over a number of years. But what we have also seen in the last number of years is schools have recognised a crisis in particular subject areas, a recruitment crisis in particular subject areas, for instance, home economics, maths, Irish. And schools have had the capacity and the willingness to advertise whole-time jobs for those subjects, which proves that they can do it for any subject. And to move the profession to a point where you leave university and you can apply for a whole-time job and a full salary would be a significant move forward in ensuring the teachers could afford housing or rent or the rental markets in the various areas that they wish to teach. Uh, and what that full salary is worth, of course, uh, because inflation running at about 8% means we've taken an 8% pay cut, uh, unless uh, that's uh, addressed. The pay talks are going to be very difficult, aren't they? The pay talks are always very difficult. And indeed, look, we... we, we we feel at this stage like we're in a constant rotation. We've only agreed uh, payment of the sectoral bargaining process, which was within the last pay agreement, the building momentum agreement, and we're already preparing as we come come into the, the coming months to engage in pay talks again. And yes, absolutely, we would be seeking um, we would be seeking to ensure that our our members' salaries keep up with inflation um, over the over the the next couple of years, and we will have to continue to revisit pay talks as inflation continues to rise. Uh, and does that feed into the logic of merging uh, the TUY with uh, the ASTI, that uh, instead of two separate unions uh, fighting uh, on different sides, if you like, that it would be one bigger, stronger union? I think the reality is that we've had two separate unions fighting on the one side most often. I mean, there have been there, there have been times in the past where the views of the TUI and the ASTI have diverged and while they've been heavily covered in the media, they are actually few and far between. The vast majority of the time the two unions find themselves going into the same rooms with the Departments of Education and saying the same things. And that common ground is, is, is really the logic that applies to seeking to explore whether or not an amalgamation would be popular with our members. And certainly going by our own Congress over the last few days and, and indeed our engagements 
uh, with the ASGI and various different conferences that we've held jointly over the last year, there does seem to be a, a, a very sincere interest in unity between the, the two unions and in seeking to explore ways in which the two unions can uh, can build towards perhaps an amalgamated union, but certainly build towards um, working very solidly together. Okay, well, as things stand, uh, there's two trade unions representing teachers in secretary schools and one for the teachers in national schools. I think the Minister got a a strong message from all three unions this week. Uh, But uh, thank you for telling us about it and for joining us on the programme this morning, Colm. Colm Kenny, Assistant General Secretary with uh, the TUI, that's uh, the Teachers Union of Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, we've had mention on a, a number of occasions uh, this morning of uh, Joe Kennedy or Joseph Kennedy III and what he had to say uh, to those who attended Ulster University yesterday. Maybe we can take a, a listen to just some of what uh, Joe Kennedy had to say. 25 years ago, the people of the United States bet on peace. We bet on it because we bet on you. We bet on your dreams and your aspirations, your hope for your kids, the future that you will write. The city, the community that you will create. Where there was pain, you saw a chance to heal. Where there were walls and wire, you saw a community. Where there was division and skepticism, you saw hope. 25 years later, look at what you have created. Record GDP growth. University classrooms filled to the brim. Old shipyards turned into incubators for cutting-edge technology. Tourism surging among ancient walls in the soft light of fertile fields. And folks, we're back too. Proud of that wager and ready to double down on a bet that has produced a peace dividend with now hundreds of U.S. companies operating in Northern Ireland and creating tens of thousands of jobs. What a very articulate way of uh, encapsulating the Good Friday Agreement, how Northern Ireland was before 1998 and how it has been since in just 90 seconds. That's uh, Joseph Kennedy, the third to the US Special Envoy to Northern Ireland for Economic Affairs, speaking at Ulster University yesterday. Now, the 25th anniversary of uh, the Good Friday Agreement will be marked in Dalgan Park this evening by the Mead Peace Group. And let's uh, speak now to you, Lisa Clancy, uh, who is a uh, spokesperson for uh, the group. Good morning to you, Yulita, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme. Uh, fitting as well, I think, to mention that it's uh, the 30th anniversary of the Mead Peace Group. Yes, and um, good morning, Michael, and thanks for having me on. And just a quick correction, that event is in Bovinda House tonight. Oh, my apologies. Um, the County mm-hmm. Council is organising it, and they asked us to come in and assist them with it, which is a great honour um, but yes, we're, we're, we're also marking 30 years. And, you know, Michael, um, I was just looking back at some notes we'd made when we started in this time 30 years ago. Um, 
And we were remarking that, that, you know, it was 25 years then since, really, since the outbreak of the Troubles, let's say the civil rights movement and all of that and the rioting and that that happened afterwards and then the start of the Troubles around that time. And here we are 25 years now after the Good Friday Agreement. So it's really kind of very historic and it's wonderful to, you know, to be able to mark this now, to mark the 25th anniversary and to look back, but also to look forward, which is very much what I think President Biden was directing us towards yesterday. And, um, you know, you know yourself, Michael, and you've covered this so many times over the years, the stops and starts, the Mm. disappointments, and then the hopes, the various stages in that, which was never perfect, that agreement, and it was always going to be fragile, the peace. And it's now going through another difficult, very difficult time. But we must maintain hope and we must kind of look for, look at that agreement again Mm. and build from it and, you know, build on the elements that we failed to perhaps build. Yeah. We're, we're, we're still we're still in the new dawn stage. Uh, it, yeah. It's uh, a very new agreement. It's in its infancy, and that is very difficult for some people to understand uh, because there's a lot of people who were born after 1998 uh, and are 25 years of age now, sort of thing, yeah. uh, who, who can't grasp what it was like. Uh, but it is fragile, uh, as you say. Uh, my apologies again. Your event this evening is in Bovinda House. Uh, 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 and tell us how you're going to mark uh, the event. Uh, you've uh, an Irish diplomat who'll be with you. Yes, indeed, and very appropriately. So, um, the, the the kind of the theme of the event is the, the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. But there is a lecture which is the focus of this event, which is the Dermot Gallagher Memorial Lecture. And as you know, Dermot, the late Dermot Gallagher was living in Rato, the senior civil servant. Um, uh, Secretary of the Department of Foreign Affairs, who was one of that big negotiating team on behalf of the Irish government who negotiated the Good Friday Agreement. And we owe him a great debt for all the hard work he did. And to come and give the lecture is one of his colleagues and also um, a retired ambassador to the EU and to France. That's Rory Montgomery, who was with him in that team that was negotiating the agreement. And um, Rory was somebody that our group first met in 1994 when he went to the Forum for Peace and Reconciliation in Dublin Castle. And he was one of those very, very helpful civil servants who encouraged groups like ours. And it was at that forum that we learned so much by attending their public sessions and putting in our own presentation and being quizzed and questioned that we, um, you know, got strength to go further and go on with our work over those years, which was very much a kind of people's work of building understanding and trust between ordinary people on the ground. Now, a lot of our work was public talks, and that was to kind of generate debate. But an awful lot of the back work was private and discussions and meetings and exchange weekends. And then our schools program, of which we were very proud and which showed great potential. I only wish that that could be carried on because young people, you know, we can't blame them if they don't know about things. But I think it's essential they have their own troubles and worries, but I think it's essential that they also know more about what happened so that they can be more grounded in their approach towards healing, as Joe Kennedy mentioned.
Mm, we were speaking to Deborah Dehern earlier in the week, former Minister for Foreign Affairs, uh, about uh, the Good Friday Agreement in 1998. And of course, that it didn't just happen all of a sudden in 1998. And he was telling us about talks that he had with uh, Sinn Féin back in 1988. Mm. Uh, and uh, he would have been uh, very familiar with uh, Dermot Gallagher because he was uh, the Secretary General in the Minister's Department of Foreign Affairs. He would have been behind the scenes uh, in the run-up uh, to the Good Friday Agreement, but also part of the government's negotiating team at the Sunningdale Talks back in 1973. Yes, indeed, and he, 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 he went a long way back, and it was that experience of those really, those civil servants, you know, we, we, we know the politicians, we often don't know about the civil servants behind the scenes who were so key to, you know, carrying it on, because it was a process, and a really difficult process, and something that, you know, a lot of people felt peace was never inevitable up there on the island itself and that it could have got much, much worse um, expanding down here in much greater uh, proportions. Um, So we do owe those people such a great debt and we also owe, you know, the ordinary people of Northern Ireland who stood up against that violence, who asked for no recrimination. All of those people, the victims who we met, got to meet in those early years of our group wonderful people working at a community level or in church groups or residence groups and their great courage and I often think of the people who have now passed that we met you know particularly the women in in these places who really sacrificed so much and were so determined that their young people would have a better future and that led to that huge pressure that finally came in the talks towards the end when there didn't seem much hope but those people coming all around, the women and all of the ordinary people who then went out and voted and affirmed it. And we must remember that and hold fast to that. It really uh, was a, a pity uh, for the 25th anniversary uh, and uh, indeed uh, for President Biden uh, visiting to mark uh, the anniversary that uh, the institutions have collapsed, uh, the whole political process is in limbo. It seems like a a very fragile situation uh, and it's impossible to predict. Uh, I think most people would expect the DUP to take up their seats uh, after the local uh, elections in May. Uh, But it's impossible to know and and brings home how fragile the peace process is in that sense. And in the other sense, then, we see a rise in dissident activity. Uh, And indeed, we see the attempted uh, murder of a PSNI officer uh, and uh, we see PSNI uh, coming under fire in Derry uh, just over the weekend. And and I mean, that is what happens in a vacuum. I mean, that, that gives fuel to dissidents now. We know there are real issues in some of the working class areas of Northern Ireland and they must be addressed, but there's no justification for what is happening with the dissidents. And there is a role, I think, for Republicans particularly to um, start talking more openly about the past and to also be able to, you know, address you know, what, what was done on their side as well as the loyalist side. And there is a huge danger because there's also a danger coming from loyalist groups. And it is, we are at a very worrying period where when you look at the DUP, I see more and more ever since Brexit and we've had a lot of contacts with, you know, middle of the road unionists who um, were very torn over Brexit, who voted to remain and then felt with the United Kingdom going in for it, they had to follow. And they're very sort of confused at the moment and they feel very much threatened. 
they're not necessarily DUP supporters. Many of them now are, but that is a problem that we need to look at and be a little bit more patient with, I think. After all, you know, we do know that Sinn Féin did stop the institutions for three years at a very crucial time when the Brexit debates were going on, when we needed a forum, we needed the, uh, the, the Assembly, and we needed people in Westminster to talk up for the Good Friday Agreement. And as you know, Northern Ireland was rarely mentioned during all that period in the debates in England. So, you know, we're going through another one of those. I hope it isn't going to be for three years, because I think if that happens, then, you know, we may see the end of it all. But I just hope that, you know, I have good faith in dialogue and in people working Mm. towards understanding on this. And I think if we're a little bit more patient, we might see a resolution, maybe not immediately, maybe it'll take a few months. But I think instead of, you know, maybe condemning, we, we all wish the Assembly was up and running. There is so much of a need for it in terms of the problems in Northern Ireland as well and in attracting industry and all of those things. It's absolutely essential. But we need to ask ourselves, how can we build that trust? How can we assure the unionist community who are having doubts about it? You know, and many of them do want devolution. They're very committed to devolution. But how can we, particularly in the South, how can we assure them that they're not threatened by this and that what lies up ahead in terms of the future of this island is not going to threaten them and Mm. that what we will do and what we will work towards will be patiently to build understanding, to build dialogue, to work out what sort of structures will prove best. And we need to be patient and we need to Mm. talk about years. I mean, we're talking about 50 years since the start of the process. Yeah. You know, we need to look at another 50 years, Michael. Do you, do, do you, do you think um, that a border poll would threaten unionists? And do you think that there is any argument uh, because one is being made for a border poll? I, I don't at the moment. I don't for several years. I mean, it's a right. Of course it is. But you don't necessarily exercise rights willy-nilly. I mean, we know, you know, the chances of a border poll winning are slim and we also know that even if they did win it would be a very narrow majority and what do we want that do we want an ireland that's not at peace with itself no we've got to be patient we've got to build um you know dialogue on this we've got to look at options look at ideas bring in unionists now unionists are not kind of all that interested in coming into that dialogue at the moment i mean a lot of them aren't we've had dialogue with unionists where it's been pretty good, friendly dialogue about the future. And if it's done in an unthreatening manner, without this pressure, I think a lot can be achieved. And I think instead of focusing, I know I'm going to be criticised for this, but instead of focusing on that, I think we need to see how can we make Northern Ireland a better place, a better place for, 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 for all the people of that. And, and how can we work on the commitments that were made to reconciliation, to the victims. After all, look, Michael, at the moment, one of the big grievances is that legacy bill going through the House of Lords. Now, there's no party in Northern Ireland that wants it. There's no victims group that wants that. So that is a very important first step that we need to put that sort of... That it's something we can join in common with the unionists on. But also, we need to... You know, we need time now. I mean, it is a fragile piece. No one can say that the last 25 years have been perfect. The only great thing is that so many lives have been saved and that so many opportunities have now opened up for people and that young people, particularly in Northern Ireland, are speaking with a new voice. And I was looking this morning at some notes that we had from 
one of the school groups we did, we, we did a lot of work with transition years in many schools, starting with St. Joseph's and Navan, but spreading out around the county. And we continued that from 1994 to 2014. And looking at some of the comments, because we always took feedback, how young people developed over that six-week programme and how they were coming forward with new ideas and new thoughts refreshing. And, you know, we saw that in action the time the ceasefire broke down in '96, when the young people came to us in Navan and said, can we organise rallies, can we organise peace services? Because they were so concerned about the, their young people in Northern Ireland, and they wrote to the Prime Minister and they wrote to the Taoiseach. And those were young people who knew what they were talking about, because if they don't know... And they didn't know the situation. They hadn't met other young people. And they started to find out more. Mm. And from that strength, they had the power to be able to argue with people who disagreed with them and to find a way forward. And, and I mean, this is something we have to work towards and we have to be patient. Okay. But we have to give them that opportunity. OK. Yulita, um, congratulations on 30 years uh, fighting for peace on uh, this island uh, with uh, the Meath Peace Group. I'm sure there's an awful lot of people who will want to join you in Bovinda House uh, tonight where Rory Montgomery will give uh, the Dermot Gallagher lecture. His widow Maeve will be in attendance. Uh, and uh, as I say, that takes place in Bovinda House uh, this evening. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme. Thank, thank you, Michael. And may I say thank you to LMFM and to you and your predecessors for the very courageous interviewing you've done over the years with so many people and it's been so beneficial but I also want to thank the people of Meath and Louth who very much gave us their support and encouragement in the dark times as well as the good times so thank you very much Michael and, and in fact the Meath Archaeological Society is holding a major seminar in October looking at 50 years of the peace process. So okay. you'll hear information about we'll that. we look forward to hearing more about yeah. that in due course. Yulita, thank you very much indeed. Yulita Clancy of uh, the Meath Peace Group. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Thank you, Betty Daly, text again saying uh, I was laughing at Joe Biden with his measly 10 euro tip. I wasn't laughing at that, I was laughing at the nuggets and chips. Anyway, she says she saw Bertie Ahern win 10,000 uh, in a pigeon club, uh, but he didn't even leave the price of a packet of budgie seed. Leave Joe alone, she says. Anne has been in touch saying it's obvious to everyone how much the president is enjoying returning to his ancestral home and his happiness is infectious. It was lovely to see the crowd lining up to meet him and welcome him home a joy to watch Paul in Dundalk says last night uh, he went uh, to the town to see the President arrive the pleasure of meeting Hunter Biden and Joe's sister Valerie while they were on their short walkabout and he got to shake hands with both of them and chat to them briefly he says they spoke about they spoke very fondly uh, of the warm welcome uh, that they'd received on the visit and how important it was to the whole family to make the trip thanks for telling us Paul in the words Morrissey, Belfast's first poet laureate. What's left is dark and quiet, but bookended by light as when Dorothy opens the dull cabin door and happens out, what happens outside is technicolor. What happens outside is technicolor. This place is transformed by peace, made technicolor by peace, made whole by peace. So today, I come to Belfast to pledge to all the people of Northern Ireland, the United States of America will continue to be your partner in building the future the young people of our world deserve. 
It matters to us, to Americans, and to me personally. It genuinely matters if you've traveled my country. So let's celebrate 25 extraordinary years by recommitting to renewal, repair, by making this exceptional peace the birthright of every child in Northern Ireland for all the days to come. That's what we should be doing. God willing to be able to do it. And he was in his grannies yesterday, wasn't he? Well, his great-granddad's, uh, that's the 46th president of uh, the United States of America, Joe Biden, and part of uh, the speech that he gave in Ulster University. Before we go, a uh, separate topic in an email from a concerned citizen who's asking whoever is dumping animal marking spray cans and other plastic farm chemical containers into the River Skane upstream before Dalgan Park, please stop uh, destroying this beautiful river, says our concerned citizen and who cares for the environment. That's our programme for today. Maggie Maguire researched. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael Godwilling. We'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.